Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by TopTal, freelance development jobs for world-class engineers. This message is specifically for our listeners who prefer the freelance lifestyle. TopTal gives you the ability to work on freelance development jobs and projects with top clients who understand the value of elite engineering talent. Work with leading organizations at the rate you decide, be in control of your own schedule, and get plugged into support from a community of experts in the TopTal global network. TopTal handles all billing and invoicing, letting you fully focus on your engagements without negotiating terms with clients or bidding against other developers. TopTal is also 100% remote, which means you get to design your own lifestyle and choose projects that fit your career ambitions. If you're ready for an exciting remote work lifestyle, take the next step by joining TopTal at toptaljobs.com. Again, toptaljobs.com. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. All right. Hello, JS Party people. Welcome to this week's show. I am K-Ball. I am your MC for today. Um, I'm super excited about our topic today, but before we get into that, let us check in with our amazing panelists for the day. First off, Divya Sasudaran. Divya, how are you doing? Hey, hey. Pretty good. Awesome. And I am also joined by the one and only Jared Santo. I'm the only one. I'm Jared. Hi, what's up, man? I do wonder, are you the only one or how many Jared Santos are there out there? Yeah, there can be only one in Highlander. I don't know. There's probably others, but they don't spell their name the same as me. That reminds me of like the Tigger song. The Tigger song? Please. Yeah. I, I got to hear this. You don't know the Tigger song? <laughs> no. He's like, the wonderful thing about Tigger is Tigger is a wonderful thing. But the most wonderful thing about Tigger is I'm the okay, only Okay, it's yeah. coming back to me. Something are made out of rubber and my rubber made out of springs. You bounce, you bounce, you bounce. Fun, 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 fun. The only wonderful thing about Tigger is I'm the only one. I love it. Yes. That's New theme song. The wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers a wonderful thing. The tops are made out of rubber, the bottoms are made out of spring. The bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. I actually, in a talk I gave once, and I was like, the wonderful thing, I think I was talking about Jamstack, or I don't even know what I was talking about. I was the like, singleton the, pattern. Yeah, I was, I was like, the wonderful thing about Jamstack is Jamstack is a wonderful thing. And then I just chuckled <laughs> <laughs> And everyone was like, what is she done? And I was like, it's fine. But you know what? Like, the more fun you have, the more fun they're going to have. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that 100%. Hey, K-Ball, can we take a quick moment to plug all things open? Because we will be there and have an awesome talk. And I want people to show up and, and hang out with us. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, do your plug? Okay. So October 14th, that's a Monday, we will be in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. K-Ball will be there. I will be there. Emma will be there. We have a live show on stage right after lunch on the front end developer track, I believe, where we're doing lightning chats. So this is like lightning talks only. We're going to chat. So you get five minutes. Come on up on stage. We'll talk to you about whatever it is that you want to talk about. And then when your five minutes are up, we're going to do a big gong show thing. Bong. We're going to kick you off the stage. And the next person comes up. I don't know about the gong. Still working on that. 
This will be fun. But point is, it'll be fun, and y'all should come. Of course, we're going to tape it. We're going to produce it. It's going to be an episode, so if you're going to miss it or you don't live in a place where it makes sense to make it to North Carolina, don't have any fear. You will be able to listen to it. But if you want to come on stage, we will have some swag. It's going to be awesome. So all things open October 14th. Come hang with us. Super cool. Yeah, bring your awkward questions. Try to make Jared feel really awkward. <laughs> and if you don't, K-Ball will make me feel very awkward. So got it unlock. That's my specialty. All right. So today's topic, what we're talking about today is something that comes up a lot in our community uh, because there's so much going on and things move so fast. The topic is how to learn. So you know, I definitely do a lot of questions where people have challenges learning and doing things. And, and one of the big questions is like, how do I even decide what I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. What are the best resources? You know, some people know, oh, I love Udemy courses. Like I've got a buddy who's gone through probably 200 different Udemy courses and he actually finishes them, wow. which I never do. Wow. And that's his thing. But yeah, for, for a lot of us, it's not clear. And, and there's even this question of like, how do you even decide what to learn? Where do you focus? There's so many things going on mm-hmm. within our specialty and broadly. So let's start from there. Like the panelists, Divya or, or Jared, like how do you think about what do I want to focus on learning? That's a really hard one. I find that I always have a lot of FOMO when it comes to, to like specifically in this industry because there's so many concepts to learn and so little time. Mm. But for me, prioritizing often takes the form of what is top of mind. So if I'm working on a project where it's actually important for me to learn something like GraphQL, then I'll pick it up because it's really hard to learn something when you don't have a direct application or a direct time and opportunity to use it. And so for me, it's very much a just-in-time learning type deal where I only learn things when I really need them. And it often fits my learning style a lot more. Uh, I know people who are incredibly able to learn, to take everything in all at once. It's similar to reading a book. They have to read the entire book in order to talk about the book. And I'm not that person. I can jump chapters and maybe even read like the middle section and still be able to talk about it. And like at least have an understanding of the total realm that I'm working with. And so that's generally the way I prioritize it. Just because I know like it's very important when you try to think of what to learn to understand how you learn as well. Because some people like to learn theoretically. They read a thing. They try to understand why the thing exists, how it works from a theoretical perspective, and then they apply it. And I'm the reverse, that I need to know that the application of why I'm using the thing, and then I use it. And then I kind of learn as I go, rather than try to take it all in at once and then spit it out at the end. That's a really good distinction. I remember when I was, back when I was in college, I studied physics. And I always felt like I was bad at learning or at physics because there would be these other folks who would just like, They'd go so incredibly deep and they'd mm-hmm. understand everything from the bottom up and they'd just like get this really deep, rich understanding. And it was really hard for me to do that. Uh, and then we had a class on more engineering and electronics related. And the, it was going really fast and you kind of had to start from like the pragmatics of what's the minimum I need to get to, to get this to work and very, very sort of uh, what you're describing as like application-oriented learning. And suddenly I was flying... And they were struggling. And that, I think, was the first time I realized that those are just two very different learning modalities. And some topics work better in one or the other. 
Yeah, for me, it's just such a big question that it's hard to answer it because it's so contextual and depends on, okay, what to learn. Well, why? You know, why are you learning? Because that's a, it kind of goes back to our conversation a while back about what were we talking about? Uh, how, how do you know? I haven't told you yet. We were talking about <laughs> conferences, like how to pick a conference. It's like, well, why are you going to a conference? Like, what are your goals? And so the answer to how to learn or what to learn has a lot to do with what are your goals? Are you just trying to uh, satiate a fascination? Well, it's like, well, then just dive into some books and read the deep history and like get in all that. That's actually the easy stuff because you're already fascinated. So you don't need as much advice. Are you trying to get a job? Are you trying to break into the industry for the first time? Well, I think what to learn and how to learn in that case is way different than for myself personally. What am I going to learn? I have continuing education needs, right? I need to stay relevant. But I have a lot of foundation after over a decade in this industry that a lot of people, you know, they need to get that before they can learn the way that I do. And that's not uh, an arrogant thing. That's just like an experience thing. Like I've been through a lot of the learning. And so I'm like, my answer on how I learn, I learn by example. I learn by looking at working code and comparing it to code I've written and then saying, okay, here's, here's how I can hop from this construct to that construct. Well, you can't really give that advice to somebody who's in a completely different circumstance. So I think it's, it depends on where you're at and it depends on what your goals are before you can say, well, what, what do I learn today or tomorrow? You highlighted a really important point, which is trying to discern what your motivation is behind learning something. Because it's not just about deciding what to learn, but I think we'll talk about this later, just like trying to continue on that learning journey. So if you're like, I'm going to master GraphQL, I keep bringing up GraphQL. <laughs> Must be on your mind. I know, it's on my mind. Or even TypeScript, which is also something which is on my docket of things to learn. But it's like, if I don't feel motivated, so sometimes it's, there's an aspect of I should learn something so in the community, everyone's like talking about TypeScript and I have this mentality that I should learn it. But at the same time, every time I've approached it, my motivation for learning it and like actually understanding it drops because I don't actually have that re intrinsic reason to learn it. It's very much like I should learn it because the community dictates th this particular thing. Thing, mm -hmm. and therefore I want like it, it's not really a desire I don't really want to learn the thing I just feel like it's a not it's knowledge I should have and so that makes it really hard for me to learn it because I just feel like I'm constantly just hitting a brick wall you, you just no longer are motivated because you're just like very easily demoralized which is like kind of the learning process getting demoralized is very common mm -hmm. but if you if you have a purpose and you have, it's very, very much like that's what you want, then getting over that hurdle makes it is much easier because you have a goal in mind and you're able to just push past. But if you're like, oh, I'm just learning this for the sake of learning this, then it's really hard for you to just continue on that. So, so for example, like when I was in college, I was interested in like building for the web and being a developer, specifically a web developer. And there was a point where I was like, oh, maybe I should switch majors to becoming a computer science major. And I took a couple of classes, but I was like, I don't understand why I'm learning this. I want to be a web developer and none of this applies. I mean, mm. sure, like a lot of the, the concepts translate now, like now that I'm like, you know, deep into, <laughs> deep into not really deep into my career, but like, mm -hmm. you know, many years in, right. now I'm like, oh, okay, I see why I should learn specific like algorithms and whatever. But at the time it didn't make sense because it was so abstracted. 
And so I think that's kind of like, for me, going back to what I was saying, it's like just in time, like when I approach a problem and then it becomes pertinent that I need to know that, then I learn it. And there's a likelihood that I'll actually master that technique or that, that concept and not the reverse. Yeah. There's something really important there. I was remembering an episode we did, episode 80, where we talked with Chris Ferdinandi, who's the vanilla JavaScript guy. Right. And he brought up this concept that he called learning inertia, which is, you mm-hmm. know, it's actually, it's really hard to learn new things. And we have this kind of innate, if we're not learning new things right now, it's really hard to get started. We have this innate resistance. It's really hard mm-hmm. to, to kind of sit there. And so having some sort of strong motivation that's going to pull you and get you moving and get you going is really important. Now, the nice thing about inertia is once you are going, it's actually a lot easier to keep going. So when you're discovering new things, you're getting past those barriers, you're you're creating new competencies and creating new capabilities for yourself. That's exciting. That feels good. And that'll keep you going. But if you're just looking, if you're feeling like you're stuck, you have to have to have to have to find something that is going to get you excited to get out of that stuck state and get you past those inevitable challenges where you run into something and it's just not making sense. So there's lots of contexts in which you learn a thing. So one context you may have, and maybe Divi, you felt this and haven't had it explicitly, is like your job demands it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like your boss comes up and says, hey, you need to learn GraphQL because we're going to stand up a GraphQL API and guess what? You're on the team that's standing it up. And now it's like, okay, now I have a thing I need to learn because I want to continue working here and I like to make money. So I'm going to learn a thing like that's kind of the easiest in terms of what to learn because your immediate needs demand it. And I think we all have had that circumstance and that feels very clear. Like, okay, I know I've now chosen this thing because circumstances demand it. Then it comes to like, how do you learn that? I know we'll get to that next. But the other side of what to learn, which is the one that I think we all are struggling with more and uh, there's probably more depth to plumb there or things to tease out is like investment learning where it's not dictated to you. It's not completely clear. You have so much disposable free time and we all have different, you know, there's a continuum of how much of that free time we all have. Now I need to choose investments wisely because we're all investing in our future. So we don't become irrelevant. We want to keep that job or get a better job or whatever it is that we want to do. Now the question becomes, how do I pick? How do I decide where I'm going to spend my precious investment time investing in myself. And Cable, you do this as much as anybody. So I'm curious, how, you, how do you decide that? Because as a consultant and a trainer and all the things that you do, you have to be good at things that are in demand and maybe not in demand right now, but hopefully in demand also next year and 18 months from now and so on. How do you pick what to learn? Great question. I think about this a lot. I put together a whole framework for myself on it around your motivation, momentum, and money. That's so cool. The three M's. The money's got to be there. The three M's, or even the three <laughs> Mo's that you got to get your Mo on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have you written this out somewhere? Because uh, this sounds like a blog post. It is a blog post. I'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. The three Mo's. The three Mo's. Uh, so it goes up and down, but those, those three very high level. I look for motivation because I got to get excited, Mm -hmm. right? I'm like Divya. It doesn't matter how valuable I see this thing's going to be. If I'm not interested in it, if it doesn't get me excited, I'm not going to learn it well until, you know, maybe you hold a guillotine over my head. You must learn this thing and then I'm going to learn it. That's a different type of motivation. Right. But uh, if I'm not motivated, I'm not going to be able to do it. The second thing is momentum. Where is this going to get me? Is this something that 
learning it is going to enable me to learn other things? Is it going to open new doors? Is it going to give me new concepts? I think I was much more interested in learning React initially because I saw that it was actually going to open the door to all the different front-end frameworks. The concepts in React are super common now. They're going across all the different frameworks. I would be less interested in learning something that's very, very different unless I had reason to believe that 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 was going to really pick up a lot of momentum down the road and, and really turn into something new or set me up for something in the future. And the final one is money, right? I, I prefer to work or to learn something on the job where I'm getting paid to do it. Second level, if I can see there's a business opportunity, that's also going to drive me looking there. And I think you know, that's, for me, honestly, of the three, probably the weakest, but it, it is a, the pragmatic piece of me saying, I've got to actually pay attention to how I'm going to be making money. And supporting myself. And I think depending on where you are on your career, you can prioritize those different pieces differently. Mm. And you know yourself, right? Maybe it actually doesn't matter to you that much the motivation because you have trained yourself that whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. You're a strange human being. I don't know how you do that, if that's the case. But <laughs> for me, the biggest of those is that motivation. Like I want to be mm-hmm. learning something that charges me up, that gives me more energy. Y'all know I'm kind of a high energy guy. I drink a lot of coffee, I do a lot of stuff. Uh, and I, I thrive on that and I don't want to be doing something that's draining me. I don't want to be trying to force myself into learning something that is hard in the sense that it's taking energy away. Mm. Let's say you put react in front of your face and then you say, okay, three mo's strategy. And do you like, do you go ahead and like get analytical, rank it out? Like my motivation for this is a two on a scale of one to 10. Like, do you average it out and say, this is a seven, I'm going for it. No, I'm not that specific. It was more for me about defining what were the factors that I thought were important and Mm -hmm. making it a little more concrete for myself around why am I making the decisions that I'm making and what were the factors that when I made decisions that I ended up regretting or not following through on that got in the way. Mm. So I learned very quickly that if I just focused on money and was trying to learn something just because somebody was going to pay me to do it, but I didn't have any motivation for it, I failed. I was not good at that. Yeah. I also learned that if I just focused on motivation and maybe a little bit of money, but it didn't give me any momentum, it felt like a waste of time. If it was something that Mm -hmm. it was just good for this one job or this one client, that's not good enough anymore. I want to be doing something that's going to set me up for the future. The interesting thing about those to me is that the motivation is the one that you can start with as a concrete thing. Because you can't know if you're going to get momentum until you get moving or don't get moving, right? Like momentum changes. Money is a big question mark because Mm -hmm. certain things look like they're going to be financially lucrative and then maybe they aren't. So that's why we talk about investing, you know, like invest at your own risk, you know? Uh, Maybe you added me in there, a mentor. Maybe add that to your list. So if you don't, you got three mo's and a me, get a mentor, somebody who's going to come and say, yeah, this is going to be a way that you can make a living because I I'm your mentor and I know these things or whatever. But yeah, the, the motivation thing is there right at the outset. It's intrinsic, right? Unless you said there's an extrinsic motivation. Somebody has a guillotine that says learn this or die. But momentum, you don't really know until you get moving. I think you can get some hints on them, right? So, And some of that comes from finding the mentors and looking at what's going on. Uh, React is a good example, right? So somebody coming into the market now might be looking at React, they might be looking at Angular, they might be looking at Vue, they might be looking at Ember, they might be looking at Svelte. 
And if they're trying to optimize for money, they're going to look around and say, okay, what are folks hiring for around here? Like if they don't already have a position or some sort of opportunity there, and they're in a place where money is higher on their ranking scale, maybe they're new or maybe they're a freelancer who's not overwhelmed with work or what have you, they could look around and say, okay, if I look at freelancer requests, job listings, like React is an order of magnitude higher than pretty much everything else. Mm -hmm. Okay, it might be slightly lower on my motivation scale than learning viewers felt. Momentum, maybe I don't know, maybe I have some feelings, what have you, but the money side, you can you can often get a sense of, hey, people are hiring for this right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are no guarantees in life, but you can get some sort of idea. I mean, money is a motivator. So. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Money is definitely a motivator. And how much of a motivator it is depends a little bit on your circumstances and where you are in your career. But you should not feel guilty if you're in a place where money is your primary motivator. That's legitimate, right? If you're yeah. in a place where you are still trying to put bread on the table or support your family or support someone else, like, it's okay. Don't feel guilty for having money as your number one. Like, people talk a lot about passion in our industry. Mm-hmm. This is also a damn good way to support yourself and your family. And if that's your primary focus, embrace it. That's fine. That's not said enough, I think. Just because, as you said, a lot of the times, the industry focuses a lot on passion and almost like burning the candle on both ends just because mm-hmm. we love the thing so much. But it's totally reasonable to be a developer who just does it for their work and just because it's, it pays really well. And that's fine because like everyone has their own motivator. And if like, you know, making sure you're financially stable is your motivation, that's perfectly fine. And like tech is just a means to that end. But I think it's about finding and being true to what that motivation is. And then also, like, if that drives what exactly you learn and how exactly to prioritize things, that's great. Because yeah. most people don't have that. There's an undercurrent in Silicon Valley and, t- and tech industry of what you might just call, I don't know, like low-key exploitation when they only hire, like, super passionate, you know, work 24 hours a day. Or what's the 996 over there uh, on the eastern side of the world, which is definitely ex- exploitation in my opinion where it's like you're only the passionate like you got to care about the passion and the, the you got to work all the time and like that there's just like this yeah we're just trying to get cheaper labor out of the passionate people uh which irks me sometimes there's also a privilege aspect of that right like mm-hmm. if you are a young single man who doesn't have to support anyone and has a lot of free time yeah you're gonna match that quote unquote bar a lot better than if you have dependents, if you have things that you need to care about, if you have health issues, if you have any sort of other situation going on in your life that is important. And so it's not just an exploitation problem, which it is exploitation. It's also a discrimination problem. True. Anyway, I think we've beaten the, to death <laughs> this sort of motivation. How are we deciding what to learn? Let's take yeah. a quick break and come back talk about learning techniques what we do that's going to help us learn faster better stronger (laughs) all those fun things all right catch you on the other side (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams with products like Droplets, Spaces, Kubernetes, Load Balancers, Block Storage, and pre-built one-click apps. You can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. Head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. Let's talk about learning techniques. There's so many things out there right now. There are millions of blog posts and articles and tutorials. There are hundreds of thousands of online courses. There are workshops, there are things you can do at work, there are meetups, there are conferences, there are masterminds, there are so many different things. Uh, so let's maybe talk through some of the ups and downs of those. Maybe it actually works best to start with like, for you personally, how do you learn? What's mm. the best way for you to learn? So let me throw that first to Jared, you made a noise, so I'm gonna throw it to you first, Jared. Darn it, I shouldn't have made that noise. First of all, let me just throw my amen on top of that. There are so many resources now that it's like a, what do they call it, like a gluttony of riches? I don't know what that phrase is, but it's like, there's so much now, in the bad old days, you know, when I was a kid, uh, there was nothing on the internet, you know, except for porn or whatever. But now there's just like all these things, and that's awesome and amazing, but like you said, it can be super overwhelming. Like, God, what do I start because I don't want to ruin my momentum, et cetera. So tons to dig through, uh, a new problem. How do I best learn? As I said, now in my career, I learn mostly by example. I read source code or I read code examples, especially it depends on what you're trying to learn. Like if I'm trying to pick up a new language or a new framework or a new technique, I will read examples. I love like how to do this in that. There's a site called, I think, X and Y Minutes, which is that a yes. by, by example site? It's a really good site. We should link that one up as a resource. But there's like go by example. There's all these different like X by example where it's like, here is a code snippet in this language that you already know. You know, here's how to do the functional thing in this other language that you would like to learn. I eat that stuff up and I find it very uh, a quick way to pick up new things. Um, in terms of what kind of a learner am I? I'm I'm audio learner. I like listening. I listen to podcasts nonstop, not just our own, but like hundreds of podcasts as I'm mowing, as I'm exercising and as I'm driving. Uh, I go to sleep listening to podcasts because I can't turn my brain off at night. And I learned tons of stuff that way. Now, it's like this breadth of learning. It's not usually a depth thing. You can dive in. But I tend, like, if you want to go deep into something, like, get a book, read some, read long-form text about it. But just for, like, keeping up and learning things almost by osmosis, I learn a ton by podcasts because that really fits my, my current life. But, yeah, learning by example, learn by listening. Those are my two main ones. Awesome. How about you, Divya? I find that trying to explain the thing that I learned helps a lot. So for example, blog posts is a really great example of this. So if you're like trying to learn something and you're new to a concept, you might take a couple of minutes, maybe a couple hours, not minutes, maybe minutes if you're a fast learner. Um, and then after learning something or kind of getting a basic grasp, try to write about it really like strengthens your understanding of a concept. Because now you're forced not only to like, not only internalize it, but also just like talk about the thing that you learn. So it, it makes you approach that concept from different angles, because as you're wording things, you're trying to fight with that concept. In, at least when I write, it tends to be me fighting with the concept and being like, is this how I understand it? 
I think this is how I understand it. And then I'm, as I'm writing, the process of putting words on a page makes me contend with it on a deeper level than just reading about it. Because when you read about it, like I do something very, I don't sleep listening to podcasts. <laughs> That's actually like a whole other level of dedication. I don't, do not have, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts. But for me, it's, it's still pretty passive. And it's a really important, it's important because it still allows you to kind of take in knowledge. It's a really great way for you to take in things. But for me to like actually properly learn something, I need to be active about it. Mm. And so like the passive, the passive stuff helps me in like kind of internalize things, which like in a conversation I could bring it up. Yeah. But I might not be as eloquent with that idea. I'll be like, oh, I listened to this podcast and he talked about this. And then the moment someone digs into it, I'm like, I don't know. And then I'll be like, I think that's what it said. And then it would just be a kind of a n- very um, nebulous thing that I'm like, I have no idea. Um, and then the breadth, the depth of my knowledge just disappears. But the moment I try to contend with it actively. So blog post is a great one. If you do like videos and stuff, that's also a really great way to do it. Because you're like actually talking and like trying to explain things. Just essentially the act of teaching. So I've taught like before. And it's really hard because you not only you have to question the, your own assumptions so often when you learn something you come with it with prior notions of how things work but the moment you have to teach someone you have to almost que- throw all of those assumptions out the window and approach it from where they're coming from so if you teach in like a class setting either a workshop or just like a general any class people come with different understandings of different things And so when you teach, you have to try to bring all of those things together. And so by teaching, you're like strengthening your knowledge of that domain. There was a point where I was teaching a data visualization class to a group of master's students. I was highly unqualified for this job, Um, but I did it. And I had to teach them SVG and like a lot of web like markup and web principles because most of them didn't have that background. And so I had to question, because I was like, oh, data viz, you just use D3, you use the library, it builds like stuff for you, you just put the data in, it spits out a graph. That's very easy. Like, I mean, D3 is is notoriously hard, but from a web developer, you already kind of know those principles. The understanding is you know those things. And so all you're doing is learning the API and how it works. But often when you teach it, that's not how it works. And so when I was teaching that class, I had to actually deep dive into how D3 was manipulating the DOM, mm. which like you kind of have to do if you're working with it on a project. But there's a lot of like assumptions that I made and, and also just how D3 manipulates data. So I'm like, oh, it takes in JSON, but then it, it changes the JSON structure so that it's optimized for this. And then it manipulates the DOM directly and then it updates the DOM this way. And I have to know all those things, which I otherwise wouldn't have known. And <laughs> I just like, passively listen to a podcast about it not i'm not like i'm not throwing you under the bus here for listening to podcasts at well, thank all you. <laughs> i'm just saying that it's it's kind of both it's it's for me it's both it's the passive stuff yeah helps me like going I, I don't know if you mentioned this just the whole like unknown unknowns so there's this idea of like i don't know what i don't know mm-hmm. but then podcasts give me an understanding of what i don't know i don't know so it's like, hey, there's this thing that exists. And I'm like, there's, I had no idea. And now I know that it exists. Right. And then the active listening is where I'm, or the active approach to it is now I know this unknown, the unknown unknown has become an unknown known. 
you know what you don't know. Whereas before you didn't know what you didn't know. Exactly. And so now I can actually like kind of deep dive into it and like try to apply that thing. And then I learn that way. Yeah. I think what you're highlighting there is that there's actually a lot of different types of learning. Yeah. And that different mediums are useful for different pieces of that. I've heard this described for conferences as well. So I personally, I find conferences and podcasts and newsletters as really good resources for exposing me to the types of things that I might want to learn about. It gives me a mm-hmm. sense of you know, moving those things from the unknown unknowns into known unknowns where I know they're there, I just don't know how they work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even to the sense of, here's a high-level understanding of how this works. What's the big yep. picture? What are some of yep. the concepts behind it? Then you get down into essentially tactics. How do I actually apply this thing? How does it actually work? What are the things that I need to type or say or do or whatever step by step that are going to make this a reality? And there, having articles, digging into sometimes courses are good for that, uh, mm-hmm. but things where you know, it's very tactical are much more helpful than those big picture conferences or listening to podcasts or things like that. Like I will often my my sort of flow of learning is I will learn about something existing from a conference or a podcast. Once I make the decision, I want to go deeper on that. I will often pay for a course to get Mm -hmm. me over the setup hump, get me over the beginnings of like, how do I just, what is the very, get this started, get it going, get some idea of the things. And I'm really good at starting courses and going through about a third of them because Mm -hmm. beyond that point, I find they're actually not as helpful for me. And what's most helpful is, okay, now I have the beginnings. I'm over the hump. Let me take this to a real project, start working on it. And as I run into challenges in the thing, I will Google those. I will find specific articles for that. I will dive into the source code and understand what it's doing. I will do what have you. So it's almost this phased approach of conference podcast type things for awareness yeah. courses for foundations getting me started and then self-driven project-based learning for the nitty-gritty yeah i like the categorization now i will say we're talking a lot about learning technical subjects there's a whole range of other things out there so i now sure. spend much more of my time focused on learning things like uh, personal effectiveness personal growth how am i more just at better at getting things done and being happier and healthier and productive uh, communication skills marketing skills business skills all these things that don't necessarily fit in quite the same way mm. and for some of those i found podcasts podcasts how do i do a better podcast how do i communicate better how do i yeah. speak better how do i structure my thinking better those are a little bit different in how i think about those and for those i actually find often more interactive medium. So doing the thing is obviously good, right? We're podcasting. We're getting better as we do it. I listen to every one of the podcasts that I record as well as our others so that I can listen and say, what did I do right? What worked? What didn't work? Wow. So doing the thing is mm-hmm. really helpful. But I find for those also an interpersonal touch. So having a coach or doing a mastermind where you're interacting with other people who are trying to learn the same thing and giving each other feedback mm-hmm. and you know, I tried this and it didn't work, but I tried this and this worked better. Things like that that are, are much more interactive than reading an article or listening to a course or even listening to a podcast are, are far more helpful for those types of, I almost want to call them higher level skills. They're not mm-hmm. tactics in the sense of, 
how do I code this thing? It's more like, how do I think about and approach and structure this? It also sounds like one of the things you're highlighting is being very introspective about what you're working on. So for you, for example, you're doing a lot of podcasting and communicating, potentially marketing because you're a consultant. And a lot of it relates to what you're currently working on and you're trying to deepen your knowledge of the things that you're working on. So it's similar to what we were talking about earlier, which is like deciding what to learn. Yeah. Because you're like, this is the domain that I'm currently working within and this is the knowledge I need to learn in order to be more effective. And then you can go down that route now because you're like, this is my motivation. It obviously translates into like money and various other things that I need. And the techniques that I can, I can then employ techniques to learn, which will make me more effective overall. And so it's interesting that you highlighted that because it's very subjective. It's mm-hmm. focused on like what you're working on and what you're interested in as well. And then that allows you to apply the techniques you use to learn in order to get to where you need to get. One thing that I found interesting about this conversation so far with the three of us, and even looking at your list there, K-Ball, in the types of learning techniques, maybe courses is the closest this comes to. But one thing that none of us have said yet, and maybe this is like a blind spot based on age, Divya, I don't know how old you are, but I know K-Ball and I are similarly aged. None of us have mentioned the, the number two most popular search engine in the world, which is YouTube search. So many people, especially teens on up, are learning first and foremost, they will turn first and foremost to YouTube. We're pretty much all learning in both technical life skills, how to fix that, that washing machine, whatever it happens to be. So many people are learning based on video. I know you do have articles and tutorials in your list, so mm-hmm. video could be a tutorial, but are we not reaching for video as a learning technique or we just don't, don't mention it and we all use it? I don't use it for learning. Like if I was going to go learn Svelte today, I would not turn to YouTube, but I feel like probably we're at an aging minority in that regard. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I don't go to YouTube directly, but often when it, I mean, it depends on what the kind of learning I'm doing is. So if it's technical and developer related, I tend to move towards like front end masters and egghead IO and things that are curated lists or videos because I know the quality is very high. Um, And I know that the people and the instructors generally are experts in that field. YouTube is a mixed bag. You don't know who's who's (laughs) recording. Anyone could upload. Not to say that people on YouTube are terrible and all of them are terrible. It's just a matter of you have to sift through the noise. And when you go to channels where they already curate that content, I know that when I spend an hour learning a thing, it's going to be top notch. And I'm going to learn all the things I need to learn for that specific technique I'm trying to master. And so that's generally where I go. But then when it's non-technical stuff, like, oh, I need to, I don't know, build a shelf or something. I go to YouTube because I'm like some dude probably, or, or like dudette, whatever. I, I usually say dude <laughs> for both like women and men. It's not like a gender thing at all. But anyway. Fair enough. Okay, dude. <laughs> I generally reach for YouTube because I'm like somewhat, some person in the world has created this crazy, like there's a person called... Uh, who has this blog called like Ikea Hacks. And I watch that because it's so fun to just see what's possible. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I made a, I use like the mom bed, but I made it a storage bed using these shelves and like all these things. And so it gives me ideas or even like if I'm building something, this is like very specifically home building, but if I need ideas on it, a video is more helpful 
because I visually need to see how the pieces are put together and like what exactly tools they're using and so on. Same for cooking. Like there's a cooking channel I absolutely love. Um, he His name is Chef John. Well, his name is not Chef. Well, he goes with Chef John. His parents named him Chef John? <laughs> it's like they knew. How did they his know? Na- <laughs> his name is John and he goes by Chef John. He has a YouTube video series called Food Wishes and like a blog as well. And it's amazing just to watch videos of him cooking. And I've used a lot of his recipes. I think there's a YouTube channel called Binging with Babish where he cooks recipes from movies. And he always like talks about the videos from Chef John. So like for cooking related stuff, I also go to YouTube. Like I never read blogs ever for food because all food blogs are terrible. Namely because they like, I don't know if you've read food blogs, but they hide their recipes. So they're like, let me tell you a long story about my life and my grandparents' life and how we like moved here. And I was like, that's great. But I literally do not care. I just came here to find a recipe for like chicken tikka masala, whatever. Like, I don't care about anything else. But I have to like read all that. And then there's like advertisements and marketing stuff. and, And it's like a lot of noise. And YouTube will be like, here's the video and like, here are the steps to do it. So easy. So yeah, it it depends on like what you're trying to learn because I think different avenues. I don't even know if there's a curated place for finding cooking shows, but usually it's just like I follow specific people or you subscribe and then you just watch those videos. Okay, so YouTube is good for that. But But actually, no. So there is like a YouTube channel uh, called Fun Fun Function, Mm -hmm. which is awesome because like when I was, I think this was like years ago in like 2014 when I was trying to deepen my knowledge of javascript more because i was doing ruby and then i was transitioning over his videos were amazing and like yeah but again like going back to what i was saying youtube is just like everything okay k what about you on on the youtube front well it leads me a thought is like i agree with you on the curation or the uh, divya on like the level of quality that you are more likely to have at a teaching specific site like Egg, egghead front end masters and so on and so forth does that mean that the people who are turning to YouTube, because by the millions, people are learning, turning to YouTube to learn programming, are they getting a subpar experience? Are they, miss, are they learning slower? Are they struggling? Maybe because so much noise, not the quality necessarily guaranteed. Just a thought. Cable, you've been quiet for a while. What do you think about this stuff? Yeah, I like video. I don't consume video very often. <laughs> very often, I will look to video once again when I'm trying to get started or where I feel stuck. Because mm-hmm. sometimes that gets me through it. Um, I will. I mentioned my process. I'll go take a course, and there the video is super helpful for a lot of things. Though, like once I have sort of an understanding of what's going on, and particularly in technical domains, it's a lot faster for me to read than to watch video. What I will do is I will use video essentially as an audio experience. So I will, and particularly for those areas that are less technical, for when I'm thinking about or learning about communication skills, personal growth, marketing, business, these various things that I don't have to be seeing the lines of code they're writing. It's a concept that's being communicated. I'll put the video on and I will not look at that video. I'll just listen to it. Mm -hmm. Especially because a lot of my time for that type of learning is when I'm going on a run, when I'm walking, when I'm exercising, when I'm driving. So I will listen to it in audio. And if there's a point where I need to see the video for it to make sense, then I'll come back to that or I'll stop running and take a look. But I use video platforms like YouTube and a lot of the courses that I've taken 
if it's about a concept level rather than I have to see the exact details of what you're doing, I'll use it just for the audio. And part of that is the way that I perceive things, right? I perceive things faster reading than I do audio. And I'm not super visual when it comes to how I learn. Like I learn in words and I learn faster in words when they're written. Mm -hmm. So if I'm learning in words from a non-written source, it's because I'm in a situation where I can't be paying attention visually. And so I just want the audio. Mm -hmm. I get frustrated very quickly with video when I'm trying to, for example, learn like tactically learning by example or learning, watching somebody do a thing. I want to do the thing or I'm learning alongside. Just the constant back and forth of like scrubbing back, seeing what they wrote, mm-hmm. like watching them type it out again or whatever it is. I get incredibly frustrated. Text is such a better medium for that, not to mention because you can actually copy and paste if you want to save the time. But it's just not, it's a subpar for me in terms of like bang for the buck. So I do not turn to video for those reasons. And then when it comes to like you use basically video as audio, okay, well, I'm, I'm back at podcasts again. So I get just the audio, please. I know there's lots of YouTube shows which also have a companion audio version. I would just grab mm-hmm. that and so I could like consume it in ways that are just better fit into my life. I really like it when, um, to just bring up a lot of the curated content stuff, they have video and they have um, the transcribed stuff from the video as well, which is really nice because it allows me to search better. Because like, unfortunately, we haven't fixed, <laughs> like you can't search a video or you can't like figure out at what point they said some specific things. But then when you have the transcription of that, you can automatically be like, oh, at what point in the video was this mentioned? And then just watch that particular clip. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes also I, it's really nice when a video has really good notes associated with it or like a blog post or something that summarizes it. Because then I can automatically be like, okay, this video talked about this really broad concept, but then they distilled it down into like a very one paragraph or a couple paragraphs with like links to code samples. Because I'm like, oh, I watched this video before. Oh, I don't have time to watch this video, but I want to quickly look at the code. So I can just quickly jump in. And then if something didn't make sense, I can go to the video and be like, okay, they probably explained it at some point. And so I really want more people to do that. I think YouTube... YouTube is great for um, when you're starting out. The discoverability, unfortunately, is not good for YouTube because there's so much content. And also the other thing is that you don't have the ability to like, the transcription isn't, isn't great unless you host or put it in, you have like a separate page with the YouTube video and then you put all of that content on your own. But yeah, that's like one of the things why I feel like it's really frustrating. And I've also heard people who create on YouTube being frustrated with the model of how exactly you get paid on YouTube and all of that stuff. And so it's really frustrating um, from a creative perspective. And so I often try to move towards like a model where I can pay people (laughs) to be like clearly, you know, top-notch quality. So I'm going to pay for it because I'm going to gain a lot from it. And the creator also gains from it. Yeah, I feel like the the creators who are successful on YouTube, a lot of them use it essentially as the lead generation, right? Exactly. You can get some of yeah. it, but if you want everything, you got to come over here and actually pay me because yeah, it's right. not a good way to get paid. All right, we are long on this episode or this segment as well, so let's take a quick break and come back at the end with some resources for learning, things that we can recommend to folks, places to go, things to do, maybe some tips and whatever is going to help someone in the moment. I want to learn this thing. Where do I go to do it? All right. Catch you on the other side after I go get even more coffee. 
This episode is brought to you by Algolia, search technology to power your business. Trusted by Twitch, Stripe, Adobe, and many more. Even us, yes, we use them to power our search and we love the way they obsess over that developer experience. They let us fine tune the index for the best results and report back what people are searching for, even servicing search terms that get zero results, which we love. Check the show notes for a link to get started for free or head to algolia.com to learn more. Let's talk about some specific resources and things people can do to learn. We started last segment with Jared because he made a noise. So let's start with Divya this time. Divya, what are some resources that you use that you maybe have heard about, things that you recommend? Yeah, so I mentioned this a little earlier, but for tech, there's a lot of curated stuff. So Frontend Masters is really good. I really like that. Egghead is another one. And I think Thinkster is a new one that started up. So or, or they do videos and stuff like that. And it's pretty good as well. Joe Eames does a really good job of, he walks through, like when you want to create content on Thinkster, he essentially coaches you through how to create content and how to be an effective teacher. Because his model is that most content creators don't approach teaching from the student's perspective. They often are like, I'm an expert. I'm going to tell you what I know. And so it leads to ineffective learning. Oh, people having to scrub the video back over and over yes. again. Um, and so he does it really well of like trying to walk people through like, this is how exactly learning the learning process is. And then he sits you down and talks through like how exactly to organize your course, because that's really important as well. Not just to create like a three hour long video. And then like, that's very overwhelming for most people. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great resource. There's a lot of really good videos and content out there, but I think... I like to reach for the curated stuff because often I'm not an expert in a specific domain. So if I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to talk about GraphQL again. I'm like, I don't know GraphQL. Or I know it like a little bit because I did the try GraphQL thing. But I'm like, I, I need to like level up because try GraphQL teaches you basic schema and whatever. And I'm like, how do you start integrating into your project? Just reading a blog post might not help me. And so when I reach for like content that's someone has created specifically for someone who's learning and trying to ramp up, then it's really effective for me to just like, okay, I'm going to spend a couple of hours going through this video and this like course. And then at the end of it, I actually have knowledge that I can now apply. And I find that incredibly useful. And then I feel like learning resource, it's so, it's so broad. Curator is a really great way to learn. There's also like, if you've seen people implement stuff, I think Jared, you mentioned this. If someone has already implemented a solution that you're trying to implement, I often find reading the source code really useful. There's a lot of terrible readmes out there and documentation. If the documentation is great, if, is, if the documentation is very good, like that's amazing. You don't have to read the source code. You can kind of like walk through the logic and understand how it's built and then try to replicate it. If it's not, you might have to deep dive into the source code, figure out how people write things. But that often helps me understand and learn patterns so i'm like i don't know how to do this so i was working recently with plugins for viewpress because that's a project that i'm working on now and i have no idea how plugins for viewpress i know how plugins for view works like view cli and a little bit about nuxt but no idea for viewpress and for me to learn that i pretty much found an existing plugin within the plugin for viewpress ecosystem and then i dug into the source code and i'm like how are the files organized 
and how are things being called? And then I try to replicate the exact same thing. It's not super effective because you, you can adopt bad practices really easily because someone else might have made like a mistake or done something really hacky. And then now you're doing the hacky thing without knowing why you're doing it. Learning is so imperfect. Mm, I agree. Yeah. K-Ball, what about you? All right, me. Well, I 100% agree with the curation approach, though a lot of what I try to do is I will find people that I really like, that I think their stuff is really good, and follow them. Uh, so if you like the Udemy style courses and you like the fact that they discount them every single month to $10 or $11 or whatever it is, <laughs> Uh, there's a teacher there uh, named Maximilian Schwarzmuller. Uh, I probably mispronounced his name, but uh, I've Sounds taken good. several courses from him on things like React and Vue, and he's phenomenal. He's great. You know, I think there might be better teachers out there, but not many, and he's really good, and he sells his stuff on Udemy, so you can get it really cheap a lot of the time. If you're specifically looking into React, I love the stuff I've seen from Kent C. Dodds. I haven't taken any of his actual courses, but I've seen him speak. I've read through a bunch of his stuff. I've looked at what some of the material he has offered are, and um, you know, he seems like he's a phenomenal teacher. Um, I really like the free stuff he's put out. I can't vouch for his paid courses because I haven't taken any, but uh, he seems really awesome. And then if you're interested in like the personal growth space, which is, as I said, I'm spending a huge amount of time there these days. That's, that's like a lot of what I'm doing. There's this guy named Brendan Burchard, um, who he's, he's very high energy. So if you're more of a like chilled, laid back person and you don't like those super high energy, crazy people, then don't go there. But if you're into like, how do I optimize my life and my performance and what I'm doing, then he's phenomenal. And I, I really like his stuff. Um, and he's got you know books and courses and live events and all sorts of other stuff. It's kind of in the like Tony Robbins direction, if you're into mm -hmm. that stuff. And I'll do a Quick plug, if you're interested in the communication skills stuff, I just launched a project around that. Um, so I launched a website called Speak, Write, Listen. So you can go to speakwritelisten.com. I'm probably going to be doing some courses and masterminds and things like that through that. But right now Ooh. I have a daily newsletter that I'm doing where every day, daily, daily during wow. the week. So uh, every weekday I send out a relatively short email on a concept around communication. And one of the reasons I did that is I found since I'm fascinated by this topic and I've been studying it for years, I found a lot of the stuff that is out there for trying to teach communication skills is very fuzzy. There's a lot of like, you know, if you search for improve my communication skills, there's a lot about why it's important. And then like, there's this top thing of like, oh, top 10 reasons or ways to improve your communication skills. Number one, focus on your communication skills. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> right? Like there's these, all this fuzzy stuff, but there are... A lot of things you can do to systematize it. There's particular concepts. As I said, I've been working on communication stuff for years. And I think if you build up good mental models for how people work and how communication works, and there, there's a lot of stuff that can be made much more concrete. And this is something that for everyone who is technical but wanting to take on more of a leadership role, you want to be able to become a tech lead or a uh, senior engineer. Like I was chatting with a, a guy who's a VP and he was like, I have this engineer. I'd love to promote him, but he's not a good enough listener. Like Beyond some mm -hmm. point, communication skills are what enable you. And so I'm launching a project to try to make that easy for you to learn, straightforward for you to learn. So if you're interested, check that out. Sorry, minor plug, but I'm super pumped about it. I'm really excited. Is there a link to it? Yes, I will put a link there. 
put it in the JS party chat and in our notes. And I, as I said, I will be launching some educational paid stuff. Right now it's all free. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at is doing like a mastermind. So folks who are in tech wanting to become more leaders, whether they're wanting to become a tech lead, they just became a tech lead. They're trying to figure out how do I better interact with stakeholders, designers. If you're in the front end, how do I interact with the back end folks? That sort of thing. You know, people who are trying actively working on that, setting up a, a weekly or bi-weekly call where we all work on that together and get better at it. Because I, I think that's it's a skill that has been tremendously valuable for me. It's something that people have asked me, hey, how do you do that? Can you show me? Can you teach me? And it's something that I think we all have to learn as we go forward. So yeah. um, we'll be working on that. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to type my email address in here and get your daily emails. This is very cool. And I 100% agree that high quality, uh, refined communication skills are absolutely a differentiator. Uh, not just in your career, but in many aspects of life. So I'll just give a quick plug. Not, I guess, is it a plug if it's not your own thing? I want to talk about Free Code Camp. Oh yeah. So Free Code Camp is where I send pretty much everybody at this point. I'm happy to finally have a place to just send everybody when they're trying to break into web development and don't know where to start. And I know they have a certain level of intrinsic, maybe it's extrinsic, but they have the motivation. So this is a serious program. Uh, freecodecamp.org they have all these different certifications and each one is like th you know a 300 hour thing so responsive web design javascript algorithms front end libraries they have a new data viz certification at least i think it's new because i haven't seen it before apis and microservices so there's lots of these, these little verticals but it's a very serious course it's all completely free uh, as as in the name but you got to be kind of self-motivated because uh, there's something about putting skin in the game, which kind of has this accountability, which you do not have here. It's completely free, so the accessibility is amazing. But when you don't actually put, sometimes when you don't put your own money up into it, like there's less of a motivation to complete. So if you are in that circumstance, I absolutely recommend as a starting point. They also have a pretty active YouTube channel with those three-hour deep dive coding sessions that your mileage may vary on, but they have a lot of resources for you there. So freecodecamp.org if you're just busting into it. Everything else, you know, it's so contextual, it's hard to give exact resources. Uh, one thing that I like to do when I'm learning a new thing or getting into a new technology is to find out where the community hangs out and then ask questions. So that's another good way also to vet a community and decide if you want to continue in this place is to find out, do they have a forum? Do they have a Slack? And go just lurk in their Slack or in their forum uh, ask questions when you have them and see how those questions are received and answered. Lots of people are super nice. They want you to learn. They want you to win with their technology and they will answer your questions. It's like having uh, free advice online, a beautiful thing by people who are willing to give it. So I will also say that's something to do. If they do not have those resources, then maybe that's not the community for you. Maybe it still is. Your call. But I would definitely recommend getting to know the people who are doing it day to day. Because one quick question into a Slack channel can remove a road, a, a road bump and completely unblock you to continue your learning. Whereas maybe you would have Googled around and not found anything and then given up. Uh, one person can really remove those barriers. So definitely get into the community and don't be afraid to ask questions. Disclaimer, I would advise if you have a question, you know, respect the other people. Think it through yourself. Google it a little bit. 
make it well-worded, communicate it well, so that you get the, the response back and aren't wasting folks' time. But definitely do that. This is also super cliche, but um, I find that when, you fi- when you're interested in a project or framework or whatever, if you lurk in the GitHub issues, <laughs> that's like a great way to just figure out what people are working on mm-hmm. or what certain problems might be. Um, and even contributing to it is like a great way to start being active in that community. Because I like to think, I mean, open source gets a really bad rap, but I like to think that, as Jared was mentioning, sometimes like you can judge the community based on how they treat you on GitHub. What do you mean sometimes? I 100% (laughs) all the time time judge the community based on how they treat new people. Well, it's the only interaction that you have, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's a great way to just like, one, vet how the community works and like how they interact with each other or new like people who are coming in as well as trying to get deeper into that specific framework or architecture or whatever and also it is hacktoberfest this month that's right and so it's a great way to like if you're trying to learn some a new framework or whatever it's a great way to dive into and learn something and pick something up is to just like go through issues find something that interests you that you can work on oftentimes they tag it as like good for first timers I think now there's a Hacktoberfest tag as well. And so there's a really easy way for you to go through stuff and just figure out what to work on. Often, whenever a project is listed on Hacktoberfest, they understand that newcomers are going to be contributing. So they're a bit nicer. Not that they weren't before, but like, especially so. Right. Um, So yeah, that's like another great learning resource. Like it seems cliche because everyone is like, dive into source code, but this is like a, like, I mean, developers pretty much live in GitHub or GitLab or whatever, mostly GitHub. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a good way to just like learn something and ramp up really quickly. And sometimes I actually also find that GitHub is like, if you work on one issue and you build a relationship with like the maintainers, they often will point you to issues to work on because they'll be like, we need help and you're active and enthusiastic. And they are like, they one, point you to issues to work on that you might be capable to work on. And two, they'll mentor you as well. Because they're like, oh, we need help on this. And you're enthusiastic and you have the time. So like dive into it. If you have questions, I'll jump on a call with you or I'll walk you through how exactly things work. Which is like awesome because you can automatically find mentors in GitHub. Crazy. (laughs) Yes. And if you're interested in learning more about that there's actually an episode we did with one of the node.js core contributors uh, episode 86 that we'll link to about getting into open source software because i do think in technology that is probably one of the highest leverage places that you can learn and if you go into it with the explicit goal of learning you'll do well Mm -hmm. also twitter though (laughs) it's like github and twitter are both the places also that developers live (laughs) And that gives me an idea for another episode. How to make effective use of Twitter. <laughs> how to Twitter. How to Twitter without being depressed. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Divya. Thank you, Jared. Thank you. Thank you, all of our live listeners who make this a party every week. And we'll catch you next week. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelog.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. We're just an Apple podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. 
And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things around here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Everybody, if you got what it takes, cause I'm Curtis Blow and I want you to know that these are the brakes. I've stressed so much for this talk. And people are giving me all sorts of tips. They were like, oh, you know, just like smoke a little, take a shot. And I was just like, these are all. I was like, I don't know. It seems like a recipe for failure because I mean, also. I I mean, to each their own. Like some people, sure. when they do that, it makes them feel better. But I was like, the moment I introduce a substance into my bloodstream, like, mm. I don't, I don't, don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> also, it just feels like, I mean, I, I know you can trial and error and see what works. But I was like, I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> one of the talks is going to go poorly. One of the mm. talks, I'm going to be like, oh, someone said take half a shot half an hour before or whatever and i'm gonna do it and then i'm gonna just like not totally know what regret I'm it one of the yeah. things i try to remember about nerves is the nerves are just telling you that you care about the outcome they're mm-hmm. not in themselves bad right then there are there are celebrities who still get nervous to the point of throwing up every time they before they're getting it on stage right people who are giving yeah you know, massive tours or whatever. Mm. So, like, it's not bad that you're nervous. Like, it's only bad if yeah. it's interfering with you and giving yeah. you problems, in which case you can do things to try to help yourself with that. But, like, just the fact that you're nervous doesn't mean you need some sort of medication or anything like that. In fact, having those nerves, that's energy that you can tap into and say, like, this, this mm-hmm. is just energy that I care about how well I'm going to do and I'm going to use it to drive that's me. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I embrace it. Yeah, I mean, I'm... It, I have done the like take a drink thing, like not because I was so nervous that I needed one, but just like experimentally. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know, a little, a little lubrication, but yeah. uh, well, Argyle saying take prop propanolol. You're what's that? Propane? What is that? You're gonna drink some propane before? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Wait, I have not. He says pro- drink propane, propanol. lol. <laughs> <laughs> just drink some propane, lol. I don't know, Adam. That doesn't sound blocker. like good advice. I mean, oh, cool. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna oh, look cool. this up. The other thing is, I mean, do what you got to do. do which I would far rather have a panelist who is nervous and excited and like not perfect but high energy because they're using all of that energy to to get them than somebody who's word perfect and lethargic and kind of like going mm. through whatever. Right? Like your energy is way more powerful than your words. Yes, yeah. I I think it's a balance. Sorry, though, she was over there googling yeah, yeah. propane. Was, and as I said, <laughs> she was like, ordering some off Amazon while you were talking. You, She's like, I'm sorry, was, what did you I say? Wasn't sure, I'm buying I wasn't propanol. sure. If it's a, I wasn't sure if it was a it was a controlled drug because I was like, <laughs> it's a beta blocker used to treat high blood pressure, irregular heartbeats, and tremors. And so I was like, the ha- this has to be like under lock and key or something. 
I have no idea. Honestly, like, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> Beta blocker. Is that like the fish? It's going to block Innocent those. jitter helper. Okay. 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 This is good. I mean, this could work because I think <laughs> cool. for me. I love this. This is fun because K-Ball is just like, just embrace the energy. Like you're, no, and then no, you're over because, here like, no, this, no, because, this is much better. No, I like this no, better. Because like, like what Adam is saying, like I, it, it's not that I get, it's not that I get shaky, but yeah. I, I find that the, my voice modulation changes. So people are like, oh, it was fine. You were really fine. And I was like, no, I honestly, like my mouth was dry the whole time that I gave this talk. And I like didn't stop because I just went like from zero to like 60 words per hour. Like just like a ridiculous amount of just like word vomit. Just like, oh, a 30 minute talk suddenly is 20 minutes because uh-huh. it just like sped through the whole thing. So I think it's more about like, I, I think I agree that the nerves helps in a way because it translates into energy but i would like to modulate that energy a little bit more like kind of bring it yeah. down to a controlled level you do what's going to work but again, for you but don't feel yeah, like but you again, have to because i've seen you talk I you're agree. amazing right so like oh, thank you don't don't feel like you have to but the well, other thing is like also, it's your body you do what you want yeah right. i think i've tried um and i've been told this and i haven't actually followed but there's ways to modulate your breathing as you're talking that kind of brings your nerves down because it's a matter of like how much oxygen your body's getting. And so if you breathe in a specific way, you're able to like automatically come, like bring yourself down and then like slowly kind of go through things. I agree with that. I think I would, I would say practice that I would, I would be hesitant to add additional things to your (laughs) stack. You know, like now I'm trying to think about my breathing while I'm also, and then you get all meta uh, conscious and it gets things can spiral. I mean, uh, I mean, K-Ball just, to take K-Ball's example, he just went and hit the pot here at mid-show, so. The coffee pot. <laughs> <laughs> the coffee pot. Uh, 